0: Forward slash give. Thanks for listening and God bless.
1: Our passage for today comes from Acts 8:26 to 40. Listen to what God is saying to you. An angel from the Lord spoke to Philip. At noon, take the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he did. Meanwhile, an Ethiopian man was on his way home from Jerusalem, where he had come to worship. He was a eunuch and an official responsible for the entire treasury of Candace. Candace is the title given to the Ethiopian queen. He was reading the prophet Isaiah while sitting in his carriage. The spirit told Philip, approach this carriage and stay with it. Running up to the carriage, Philip heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you really understand what you are reading? The man replied, without someone to guide me, how could I? Then he invited Philip to climb up and sit with him. This was the passage of scripture he was reading. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he didn't open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was taken away from him. Who can tell the story of his descendants because his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, about whom does the prophet say this is? Is he talking about himself or someone else? Starting with that passage, Philip proclaimed the good news about Jesus to him. As they went down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, water, what could keep me from being baptized? He ordered that the carriage halt. Both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water where Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Lord's Spirit suddenly took Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip found himself in Azotus. He traveled through that area, preaching the good news in all the cities until he reached Caesarea. Good morning again.
0: Please join me in a word of prayer. God, we are grateful for the gift that it is to come together um, and huddle around the warmth of your spirit on such a cold day. We pray that um, you would... Uh, even as the things of of our lives press against um, the edges of our mind, that you would clear those things away so that we could hear more clearly um, what it is that you are trying to say to us today, what it is that you're trying to do within us um, today. Um, Help us to be uh, just a little bit more encouraged, just a little more challenged, um, and just a little more reflective um, when we leave this space. Speak uh, through me in spite of me um, such that Uh, the work that you are trying to do in this world through us uh, might be made a little bit more manifest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. There's a poem uh, by Robert Frost, a guy whose name you may have heard, but whose poem you've probably heard, uh, if only in reference. It's called The Road Not Taken. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. I long stood. And I looked down one as far as I could to see where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other, as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that, the passing there had worn them really about the same. And both that morning, equally lay in leaves, no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence two roads diverged in a wood and I I took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference now even though the title is the road not taken I actually always thought the name of the poem was the road less traveled because if you've ever heard this poem talked about, odds are that it was about how the person made this like countercultural choice, right? How taking the road less traveled is the better or more brave thing to do. But really, what Frost is saying is that it was just one choice that was as good or not as good as taking the other road. How could anyone know, he says, essentially. Each road is described as just as fair, which is to say they're basically the same, right? Stuff happens in life that isn't always in our control, and the poem is about how the choices we made didn't really matter as much as the fact that a choice was made. We can't travel both roads and be one traveler. He has to choose, right? Even if he doesn't know what the path will bring, even if he doesn't know how to choose between them, really. He has to keep moving forward, or he'll just be stuck standing in the woods forever. And if that doesn't make sense, then maybe our friends on Orange is the New Black can do a better job of explaining it.
1: The
2: road less traveled you know that doesn't mean what everybody thinks it means uh,
0: we better to get educated in. no 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 i'm just saying that everyone thinks the poem means to break away from the crowd and like do your own thing but if you read it frost is very clear that the two roads are exactly the same he just chooses one at random and then it's only later at a dinner party when he's talking about it that he tells everybody he chose the road less traveled by but he's lying So, the point of the poem is that everyone wants to look back and think that their choices mattered, but in reality, it just happens the way that
2: it happens, and it does not mean anything. I will probably kill her in her sleep tonight. Wake me up so I can watch.
0: So, I had a bit of fun doing some fancy iMovie magic to keep a church appropriate, <laughs> as you can see. Um, I've I, I worked with like a lot of different sounds, um, but anyway. <laughs> so we've been in this sermon series on discernment right? over these past few weeks, and whether it's been fasting, uh, discernment emails for reflection, or embodied centering, like the Tai Chi that we learned last week with Sang-Yan. um, I've tried to share practices and frameworks um, for engaging in deeper discernment and clarity. And these practices—these are practices that have in various forms carried folks through times of challenge, confusion, or simply the ebbs and flows of what life sends our way. But the thing about practices like these is that they aren't like a computer code, right? You can't like punch in a command, run the program, and it, have it all be good. All these practices do is position ourselves to be ready, to sharpen our hearing, help our spirit and our minds be more attentive. For all the good work and preparation that we may have done, the knowledge of which way to go may well remain unclear to us. The Holy Spirit's direction might not feel all that much like direction at times. And in those moments, in those times, we still have to make a choice and choose again and again and again as our path moves forward and forks every so often on and on into our future. That's life, right? A series of unending choices. Whether it's which toothbrush to choose or purchase, which book to read or which job to take, or how I should respond in this moment to this person that I'm committed to um, but, and have to wake up tomorrow and still be in relationship with. Uh, I don't know anything about that. Um, but if we are alive, there are choices that have to be made, right? But when we open ourselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit, when we position ourselves to receive, we also open ourselves to the mystery of what's possible. We see it in our scripture reading for today. Now, if you were with us last spring, then this passage will sound pretty familiar because we talked about it then. Philip is fresh off of a successful big tent revival in Samaria, and you'd think he'd have a little downtime, but he doesn't even get a chance to catch his breath before the Holy Spirit calls him not to another stadium where he can wow the masses with his powerful words and acts, but to a desert, dusty road that is basically a highway. It's not nobody but Philip and the tumbleweeds, but he's out there because he knows there's a reason why he was led, even if he's not quite sure what that reason is. Meanwhile, there's this other person, right? The author of Acts takes care to describe them, an Ethiopian, which is to say a racial minority in the area in the Near East, a eunuch, which is to say a sexual minority whose gender identity is fluid. They controlled the treasury of the queen, which means they were politically powerful and wealthy. And there's one more detail that might be easy to miss in the intersections of all these identities. They were returning from Jerusalem where they had gone to worship, which is to say that they are a spiritual seeker and a serious seeker at that because this eunuch, by their sexual status, was in the awkward position of not being able to worship in either the male or the female sides of the temple, right? So they're kind of relegated to this third space for the folks who didn't fit. Serious enough to stick around and worship even under those conditions. Serious enough to purchase a luxury good like a whole scroll of the scriptural tradition of Isaiah. All of this comes traveling down the same desert road where Philip is hanging out when he perks up. The Spirit instructs him, go to that carriage and stay with it. So he catches up with the carriage, finds the eunuch reading the scripture, has a little roadside Bible study, and even though this whole thing feels sort of nutty for him, right? Philip is like ready to ride this this thing out as long as he feels like he's supposed to. He made an unknown decision, which led to another unknown decision, which led to another and another and another. The only thing guiding him was the ongoing inner work that he was doing for listening and acting on the Spirit's guidance. Many of us have stories that illustrate all the ways that this can look. And today, I'm inviting our very own Lucille Cider. some of you know her, to share a bit about how this has unfolded for her um, over these past few years. So I'm gonna invite Lucille to come up. Um, and similar to last week, we're gonna have a little bit of a conversation. There we go. So, now if you were with us last month, you would have heard Lucille share a little bit about her story. Uh, namely the impact of her brother-in-law's sexual assault, um, her family's response that left her silent for decades, and the trial that led to her to eventually share her story after 45 years alongside dozens of other girls who um, this same man had violated. Lucille has found that um, central to her inner strength are deep and ongoing spiritual practices. These not only keep her grounded, they also help her to have clarity about who she is and what she is for, It was through these practices, the work of the spirit and the guidance of people who love her, that Lucille now finds herself a published author. I forgot to bring it up here. Um, And her book, uh, which just came out, um, Light Shines in the Darkness, um, ready for ordering, Um, but uh, to share about uh, not only her story, but her journey, as it says in the subtitle, through sexual abuse and depression, um, to be where she is today. And So thank you for being willing to share. Um, Tell us about how this book came to be.
2: Well, about six years ago, a friend of mine, a very good friend of 45 years, called me, Uh, I was living in New York State, and she was here in Chicago, and she said, "Um, I'm planning to produce a one-woman show. Uh, She had just been to one, and she can produce anything she wants, so, I didn't question that and she said I would like it to be about your story and I was taken back and she said well I guess I it can be about my story don't know that it's all that interesting Um, and then and then she said um, uh, I think we can talk about this with dr. Arlene Malinowski who writes one story, shows and performs them, and so on. So I uh, started to talk with Arlene and tell her my story, and she said, this has to be a book first. And I said, okay, I don't know how to write this. And she said, well, I can tutor you. So we started, and that was about six years ago. Um, When she said that, I asked a couple people. My therapist, he said, go for it. My friend Frank, of 40 years, and he said, absolutely. And my son, he said, yes, this will help mm-hmm. you heal. Mm-hmm. So that's how my book came about. And it was a calling. And it um, was nothing I would have ever uh, dreamed of doing. But others, God was calling me. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I am. It's published now, and now I'm into the uh, marketing <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: oh, it's <laughs> awful. I hate it.
2: <laughs>
0: well, so because we're talking about discernment, and I hear there, there were lots of people right, who affirmed mm-hmm. this next step, which mm-hmm. kind of helped it feel much more like the right next, most mm-hmm. faithful way to go. What were some of the um, kind of inner challenges that came up as you were um, contemplating and maybe even as you were writing um, that you had to kind of move through or, or, or sort of even were surprised to face?
2: Well... Um... There are a couple times in the book that I got very, very um, discouraged about. Uh, I had to write about, I chose to write about the darkness of mental illness because I clearly had become very mentally ill. I lost my profession as a psychologist, um, you know, did overdosing, very, very, very mentally ill. So to talk about that darkness, how it feels from the inside to be mentally ill, that was very challenging. But I needed to do it for myself. In fact, once I got it down on paper, the next time through I could stand back as a psychologist and say, oh, that's what was really going on. That was one of the characteristics of bipolar um, And as a a clergy person, I could stand back. So there's layers to the book um, as a result of that. But describing the darkness, uh, uh, I could only write about an hour or an hour and a half a day. And even now, when I read that sixth chapter, I have to be very careful. (laughs) Um, uh, So the darkness was one, the rage, Uh, I had told my parents that my brother-in-law had sexually abused me at 15, and they prayed, and that's all they did. They were silent. They never said anything to me uh, about it. Uh, So I went through my life uh, trying to dodge my brother-in-law, and it wasn't all that easy. 33 years after the abuse, I told my other sister, not the sister of the husband, um, and then 50 years after the abuse, he was uh, arrested for abusing another 15-year-old girl. I was uh, 15 when he abused me. So we testified against him, including his own daughter. We abused her when she was 13. We testified in court, um, that he, and it was established that he had been abusing women and young girls for over a period of 50 years. And while we don't have very clear numbers about this, it is um, a thought that he has abused 50 or 60 women over those, that period of, uh, uh, of 50 years. So writing about the anger towards my parents was very painful. My parents are held up as the, this perfect minister and wife, a perfect grandfather, all kinds of perfection. And here I am saying he failed, my parents failed me in a major way. They did not protect me. So the book is going out there and I'm waiting to hear from my nieces and nephews. I did hear from my older sister, and she was so supportive. She was so supportive, um, and is glad I wrote the book. But but it, it really was, it, writing about the darkness, and then writing about the rage, were the two times where I got very jittery. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. What were some of the things that sort of helped you kind of stay the course. So you you said for one piece was like you can only write for about an hour, hour Mm -hmm. and a half
2: at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, What are some other things that kind of helped you? Uh, My writing teacher kept praising me. He said, this is really good. This needs to be out there. Uh, My son and um, and other friends kept encouraging me. They said, other people need to hear this. This isn't just a story about you. Mm. This is a story for others. And I'm very achievement-oriented. I had lost my profession due to my mental illness. And, and I said, okay, here's where I can contribute again. Mm. This is where I can tell my story and make a real contribution. And I had no idea that... Uh, When I did that, the Me Too movement would be here and the Why I Didn't Report movement would be here. Um, But that is just raising the idea that this book is more and more important. So I'm delighted that I can offer this. I
0: hear kind of two things in your story about kind of what kept you going. One was affirmation, constant mm-hmm. affirmation from mm-hmm. different spaces.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then the other was a sense of purpose, that mm-hmm. that this there was a reason why you were sharing this story, even if you weren't entirely sure at the time of <laughs> writing that there would be a whole kind of cultural movement that was happening of women or or, or, uh, or men even who, who were speaking up about sexual abuse. And so um, that you kind of... had. Continued to have that sense of purpose that that was able to sort of get you out of
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, just your space. Yeah. This was for beyond yes. you,
2: much bigger than myself. Yeah. And so
0: now that now you're in this marketing phase, and, and we've talked a little bit about sort of being in the position to constantly sort of have to talk about the book and and um, share about y- your findings, even as you look back at mm-hmm. what you went through with your psychologist mm-hmm. mind and your uh, ministry mind. Um, what are some of the um, practices that continue to lead you forward? Because um, it, it's, it's not like you're talking about um, how to build a house or something, right? This is mm-hmm. stuff that has the potential to kind of de- like re-traumatize you every time you talk about it. So what keeps you sort of grounded in that?
2: Um, I have quite a few uh, um, mental health and spiritual practices that help keep me grounded. Uh, in terms of my mental health, I do see a therapist every week, and I wouldn't be surprised if I'll, be, if I'll see a therapist for the rest of my life. I don't know for sure. Uh, I take considerable um, psychiatric meds uh, for um, bipolar, for depression, for sleep disorder. So I stay on that regimen and... I wouldn't be surprised if I'll do that for the rest of my life. Oh, the other thing about the therapy, I do, we do serious dream interpretation. Very important to me in understanding my unconscious and understanding what it has to teach me and what God has to teach me through my unconscious. So um, dream interpretation is so important. And in terms of my spiritual practices, um, I come to church, I'm part of a church. (laughs) That means a lot to me, to be part of a community and to be able to contribute. Um, Meditation is a very big part of my spiritual practices. Um, I meditate twice a day with my friend of 40 years, uh, Frank, who has been here. So to begin the day and end the day with meditation, with a person who struggles with depression, that's very um, stable. That's foundational. Um, We also do do dream interpretation every day. So whatever has come into our unconscious, we bring it out and work with each other about our dreams. Uh, Very, very important to me. Um, I do other forms of meditation. Um, I do walking meditation, and I walk very slowly, and often I just say, this step, each step, just here, just now. This step, each step, just here, just now. So walking meditation is very important, and singing meditation is very important. I I am blessed in that I wake up with a hymn every morning. I just am blessed. So that helps guide me through the way, through the day. And I also try to make it a practice to have a song or a hymn going through my mind at all times. That's foundational. And I, I've got some music notes stuck in various places of my apartment. If I'm not, if I don't have this going through my mind, then I can be reminded. Uh, and then uh, singing meditation in the form of singing chants. And Frank and I have uh, made up several chants. And one is, let it come, let it go, let it come, let it flow, all is well. I, if you want, I'll sing it to you. <clears throat> sure. Let it come, let it go, let it come, let it flow, all, all is well. Let it come. Go. Let it come, let it flow. All is well.
0: Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I so appreciate you kind of giving the full spectrum of the ways that you. Stay centered, right? That it's not we're we're not just a pray it away kind of congregation, right? We believe that therapy ha, um, has an important role to play in our our mental health and wellness, and 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 sometimes therapy isn't enough. That that taking medication can get us to that place where we, where the therapy can do its work, and um, and so uh, I just I appreciate you sort of sharing the fullness of that. Um, and uh, I know that there, there's, as, as you move into uh, your sort of sharing about the book, um, you have lots of thoughts and ideas about how um, possibly uh, uh, you can help uh, create spaces in, at UBC um, potentially for folks who um, grapple with um, the after effects um, and, and are trying to live full lives um, post trauma. But uh, so we'll, I'll invite folks to just sort of keep your ears open for the possibility <laughs> of that. Um, yeah and I should yeah. tell you emily
2: mm-hmm. i'm I'm thinking that I won't be doing a okay. support group at this time mm-hmm. um, that with doing the speaking engagements, mm-hmm. um, that's enough for me to handle, and I find myself quite anxious mm-hmm. about the speaking engagements. So if you would pray for me, mm-hmm. I would really appreciate it. while I've done all kinds of speaking engagements, you know I was part of the feminist movement in the 60s, and I did all kinds of lectures and things like that. This time around, I I find myself in really getting getting frightened. So do pray for me.
0: Mm -hmm. I appreciate you um, sharing that. Um, As we wrap up our time with you, um, and before I pray, I feel like it's important for us to pray you Pray to end this segment, but um, just to let folks know, there are copies of the book that are available for looking at but not for taking, um, and then there are some postcards over on the table there um, just by the door um, if you wanted to sort of um, take take one with you. Um, but please join me in a quick word of prayer um, for Lucille. God, we are grateful um, that you have carried her through um, the, the mountains and, and the deep valleys of life, and that you have um, journeyed with her and surrounded her um, at the times that she has needed it most with people who can love her back into a space of um, centering. And um, we're grateful for the the full spectrum of, of ways that she is uh, both caring for herself but also keeping herself well and grounded. And she moves into this year, we ask that you would help her to, to stay close to those um, practices so that as she speaks, as she shares... Um, certainly about her journey and receives the the feedback or questions or or stories of others that she might be able to um, do the work that you are now in some ways have handed to Mm -hmm. her, this new ministry. Um, And so uh, help Lucille to know when she has to draw those lines um, to preserve that energy, um, but also help her to know when it is her time to, to step out and step up with courage to offer herself in ways that maybe feel a little bit frightening but um, ultimately serve your purpose, knowing that you will meet her um, with the things that she needs in order to, to do that work you've called her to do. We're grateful for this time of sharing. Um, we pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. So um, there are lots of questions for discernment um, that we are seeking in the Spirit's guidance on here at UBC. And if these questions aren't personal, they are certainly communal, right? Who shall we be? At UBC, it's kind of um, like about our staffing structure. um, What best staffing structure will support God's call for us in this city? How do we share our story in ways that reach those who most want to be part of what we're doing? What ways do our transforming values need to be implemented to help us live more fully into our anti-racist commitments? As a congregation that is part of the United Methodist Church, we grapple with the denomination on how to move forward with unity around issues that directly impact the status of LGBTQ persons in the church. The way forward for all of these questions we face may not be absolutely clear all the time. Fasting and prayer may not do all that we had hoped it would, and yet we will move forward, right? We will choose, we have to choose And in our choosing, we will still be changed by our efforts, not necessarily because of the clarity that we've gained, but for the clarity of being that we'll have within. And even if we get it wrong, or if we make a decision and move forward and everything falls apart, not because we made a bad choice, but because the world is an unpredictable place, there is room in God's economy for something new to be born. There are many stories in this room that remind us of this, not least of which is Lucille's. Stories which remind us that resurrection is an option. And this is the grace of discernment, that no matter what, resurrection is always an option. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for the reminder that resurrection is not just a one-time event, but that it is always available to us in multiple forms. And so help us, as we seek your spirit, to be people of deeper discernment, opening ourselves to the guidance of your spirit, to remember and recall that for all of our faithful acts and all of the the box that we can check off um, to have done the quote-unquote right thing, that even if all of those things fail, your grace does not. Help us to remember that at the end of the day, we are a people of resurrection, which enables us to be people of courage who can journey through the pain of death. We give you thanks for Lucille, for those like Lucille. We pray that as we live out our lives, we might continue in whatever ways you lead to be mouthpieces of your grace, your resurrection, reflections of your wisdom in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.